This is the A to Z podcast. We're back. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Andre Knott. At Akron Jackson, at Dre Knott on most of your favorite social media platforms. A to Z podcast.com, facebook.com slash A to Z podcast. Shouts as always to Scene, to the Honeymoon Grill, to our friends at American Fireworks for helping to make this thing happen, to you guys for helping it grow. Uh, we try not to script anything. We don't know where it's going. We sometimes wander into mature slash immature subjects and say four-letter words. So if that's not for you, if there are kids around, if you're in a work environment, either put on your earbuds or come back and listen to us at another time. Uh, I'm on the road. I have arrived in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine. Andre is about 12 hours from heading to spring training. Um, you just one shift out there? You out there the whole month, or how's that go? Uh, basically, I mean, I'm going to be back home. I'm going to be back in the 3 3 for all of about 36 hours um, in, in like a week. I'm going to come home for a daughter, um, daughter, dad dance. And literally I'll be home. I'll get home Thursday uh, evening, uh, wake up Friday and probably do something with you. Probably go down and see coach Borman for a minute, go to the dance. And literally I will take my kids and wife back to Arizona with me at like four or five in the morning, the next morning, Saturday morning. <laughs> All right, so tell me what uh, – you had a speaking gig the other day. I know the podium was a little too tall for you, but I don't know any other details. So uh, <laughs> You're not going to get me to give any of my one-liners away. I know what you're working <laughs> <on>. <laughs> well, <laughs> So just let I me tell you this. I, I'm kicking on you because I was thinking about this, and obviously when you drive 300 miles like I did this morning, you have time to think. My life last year at this time was such a disaster. Um Anyway, the combine schedule has changed, and and at the risk of putting this out for making this story drag out five minutes longer than it's already going to, um, everything's pushed up a day. Well, last year, I came home on Sunday and started doing some stuff, and I was like, it's freezing in this house. Well, my power was out, and it was going to be out for four days. So I came to Indy a day early. My phone broke. They didn't have the proper SIM card at the downtown Indy Verizon Wireless. I was up against the book deadline. Um I was a total mess, total mess. Um, so this year I'm a, I'm still borderline disaster, but I'm better. I'm here. I'm good. Uh, it rained on the way out. The Browns are new again, um, which <laughs> is not new. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's an interesting time. Um, so I don't know. We probably don't. We probably just wait and talk uh, baseball once you're actually there. The Cavs are a disaster. Um, the Browns are the Browns. Some 42-year-old guy got called up to play hockey the other night. Did you see that story? That story was unbelievable. That story was so cool. I was trying to think I mean, that. I, like, Think about how outrageously out of all the things that would have to happen for you to have to play an inning of outfield for the Indians. It's not even worth talking about. Oh, my about, God. Right? And you're, right. This, no, yeah. And, and this guy that's, did, that's and they won point. the game. It's unbelievable. Right? He's got a, he got a victory. Somebody <laughs> told me last night they were selling this jersey. Like that, you could go out and buy his jersey now. Is what I was hearing. I mean, yeah, no, I saw story. Carolina like, tweeted that they're gonna they're going to um, sell the t shirt jerseys with his name and whatever number he wore, and it'll benefit whatever his his preferred charity is, which I think is pretty awesome. And hopefully, I know they're awesome. rabid about hockey down there, um, so I think that'll go well. But what what I mean, a movie comes to life, right? Well, that's what I was gonna say. It is very much like a movie. There's no doubt about it. That it's very movie like, and, and, and in 2020. Uh, with the way our with the way sports work and, and with the way companies go about putting things together, it is very difficult 
to uh, – it's very hard for any of us. Like you said, you went with baseball. I can go with football. I mean, in football, could you see, like, one of the guys that fixes the field being the, the, the place kicker in the fourth quarter? Um, in basketball, could you see one of the guys that cleans the, the court, you know, taking free throws in the fourth quarter? I don't think there's another sport. You know, that, and we know the, the big ones pretty well, and maybe sure, maybe in another sport. But in 2020, it's pre- pretty difficult to see a situation like what happened in that hockey game happening. And, look, they've always had, like, the emergency guy. He's always been around in case of injury, in case of glass, which is old school and pretty cool about hockey. Neither one of us are big hockey guys, but Jesus. And I heard the the coach, I think it was Brian, uh, I can't remember who it was, but the coach even said to his team afterwards, which I thought was great, if you don't, this will be one day that you'll never forget. If you Mm -hmm. don't get it and this doesn't get you going for the sport, you're in the the wrong business. Um, What a cool moment and what a cool way. Uh, for this guy and, and for the money that'll get raised for it. I mean, I tell you what, if I was going to wear a hockey jersey and be that guy's or be Popeye Jones' son that plays down in Columbus because <laughs> he's the only brother I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the depth of what you get from me at Hockey Talk. <laughs> yeah, no, and that, this concludes our Hockey Minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> before, before we go on, I want to play a little American Fireworks Glory Days. Um I've been coming to Indy for a long time. A lot of combines, a lot of other things. And this is probably my favorite Indy story here. And I don't think that I've ever told it on the podcast. If I did, it was a long time ago because this happened a long time ago. So when I was at Fox and I covered college basketball, uh, my assignment would be the Big Ten tournament. Generally, not just Ohio State, generally the whole tournament, which means Wednesday to Sunday. And then I would go straight from here to the first four in Dayton which started in 2012, and I think I was there the next year, too. So this was 12 or 13 this happened. So if you've never been to downtown Indy, it's awesome. It's a great gig. I wish they would have figured out how to do it right. Yeah, it's built for big events. There are skywalks. Everything is close. Uh, Actually, the basketball arena sits maybe a couple blocks outside of the main part of downtown. The football stadium is right there. It's connected to the convention center, which is connected to like nine hotels, which is connected to a mall, which is connected to fancy restaurants. Like they know how to do it. So I come out, let's, let's say it was, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. I come out and I checked in my hotel and, uh, the, you know, they valet the car cause it's right downtown. Who knows where they take it. So I get here and, and, uh, go up to my room, whatever, start going through my stuff. And a couple hours later, I realized I left something in the car. So I call down to the valet and I say, hey, you know, I'm room such and such. Um, I need to get in my car. I don't need to take it. I just need to grab something. So they bring it up. So I go down. I get it. I give the guy a couple bucks or whatever. And I go up. I don't think anything of it. So Wednesday goes by and Thursday goes by. And I don't ever come back to my car because I don't need it. I walk three blocks to the basketball arena and I eat and I work. That's it. Right. So it always runs into Selection Sunday which is obviously a huge day on the college basketball calendar. And, you know, the brackets don't come out till 6 or 6.30. So I work that right. whole night. So I I'm work till like 3 in the morning, and I get up at, you know, whatever, later than much later than normal, and I get ready to leave. So I call down to, to valet. Well, I haven't showered, Dre. I haven't done anything. I'm just – I'm ready to get the hell out of Indy, <laughs> right? So right. – they call back and they're like, sir, uh, what did you say your, your valet tag number was? And I say, oh, you know, it's right here. Let me grab it. It's 426. I say, okay. So they, I, they, I come down and they're like, um, hey, can we see your valet tag number? And I'm like, you know, what's going on? So 
Like ten minutes go by, I'm standing there in my sweatpants in this fancy hotel, haven't showered, just ready, to, haven't slept, just ready to get on to my next stop. And they're like, "Sir, what? One more time? Um, what kind of car is it?" Well, they lost my car. <laughs> and what happened was when I called the valet the second time and went down there to grab whatever it was that I needed to grab out of the car, they just abandoned it. And instead of realizing it was a valet car, they had it towed. And they had it towed 20 oh. miles out of town. So no one gave a second thought about it. And it obviously wasn't the people working on Monday morning that did this the previous Tuesday afternoon. Right? So right. they're like, sir, we're so sorry. So they, we're, we're going to give you um, just have whatever you want for breakfast. So here I am in my sweatpants, having showered in this fancy restaurant of this fancy hotel. Right. And I, they're like. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I know you didn't do this on purpose. Well, anyway, it's like this whole hour ordeal. They finally go and they gave me like a certificate to come stay there at any time for free. Not that I come out to Indianapolis casually. Right. 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 But that is that is my glory day story. And every single time I come here and come around that bend, it's 70 slash 65. And you see downtown. That's the story that I think of the time that the uh, hotel valet just had my car towed instead of taking it back That's to the. Amazing. <laughs> I love and I had nothing against hotels. And I love going with hotels because I had the same thing in Kansas City a couple of years years back where things were stolen out of my room. And the initial reaction, and, and, and look, we should all know this dealing in any kind of retail or any place. Usually the person you complain to doesn't have a lot of power. We've all been in that situation. But you're so pissed. Right. You want instant gratification. You want somebody to take care of you because you got screwed over, which is a natural you know, reaction. And just like with your situation, I'll never get in Kansas City. Like, you know, I was, I, it was, it was an expensive watch, whatever. My wife had gotten it for me. I didn't know how much it was worth, but I knew it was pretty expensive. Um, and, and, and I, and I had known whether it be from Terry Francona or from our travel um, secretary, I was going to get taken care of. But the initial reaction from the guy that, that I had come to my room was instantly, hey man, drink whatever you want, eat whatever you want in the clock, you know, in the, and it's like, it's the same thing. And you could have free breakfast on us tomorrow morning. And I remember thinking, I don't want your freaking breakfast. <laughs> but, and, and I had to chuckle when they said that because that's like the first, that's their initial reaction when they know they've screwed up big time. Yeah. Oh, you can have whatever you want in the room. And it's like, dude, I was going to take that anyway. Because our, <laughs> our travel secretary, our travel secretary basically said, don't worry. Take everything that's on the walls. Take it out that room so you get your stuff back. But that's the initial reaction, right? Like, um, there was a, I was just at Starbucks for a meeting, um, a financial meeting or whatever before I was leaving, and I watched, uh, a, 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 you know, somebody that worked at Starbucks went to hand a coffee to a lady. Coffee goes all over. She's like, "Don't worry, I'm gonna get you another one." And the financial guy I was working with was like, "No shit," <laughs> but it's what we do, right? <laughs> um. So as we transition back into a little actual sports talk here, I, I just want to say this, and you can go with it as it was. Um, the subject wasn't even the Cavs as this came up, but I, I had a nice talk last week with someone who knows a lot about sports and who's done very well. And they were like, look, this person was like, look, you have to understand in every organization there's dysfunction. He said, you know, in high school baseball, teams are dysfunctional. He said, in pro sports, there's dysfunction. There's a there's so much money, so many egos, so many people, so much pressure. It just goes on. He said, now some are obviously more than others. But when evaluating Cavs, Browns, whomever, right, you have to understand it goes everywhere and comes with the territory. 
Um, he was, this person was making this point that there are levels to it. Um, as the conversation went on, got to another point, which is an issue with the Cavs and, and has been an issue with the Browns. Although I think this time they have enough players that they can begin to form an identity. Joe, you should always be along as we look at specifically about pro sports should be able to answer who you are. Right. And part of that is who you aren't or what your flaws are, but who are you as a team as an organization, yeah. what are you trying to be in terms of where, where you fit or where you need to go, right? Yes. And what's I think, your, what's your identity? What's you know, it's not, it's, it's highly embarrassing, but not shocking that it went this way without John Beeline or with John Beeline, excuse me. It's highly embarrassing, but not shocking that the Browns have changed again for the fifth time in seven years, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I guess I would just say this about the Cavs. Obviously, LeBron leaving. turns you into a totally different thing. And even though it feels like forever ago, it was only 20 months ago that that happened. However, man, like, who are you? (laughs) Where are you along the way of what you want to be? It's damn impossible to answer that. I'm glad you, number one, um, to answer a question you said earlier, I did speak uh, this past weekend uh, down at Canal Park for the Greater Akron Baseball Hall of Fame, um, which was really cool. I saw a lot of umpires that I um, that taught me bad words and taught me that if I said that word again, they would throw me out. Saw some coaches that showed up. So tip of the hat to the Borman family, who's always been great to me. Um, it was a cool moment and the really the coolest moment of it. Um, and I'm not going away from what you just talked about because it goes into dysfunction. Um, it was one of those events, and you, and you know what this is like because your life is much like mine. I got invited to do the event. I didn't say anything to my family about it. My wife knew. Um, but it was in the newspaper. It was in the Acrobica Journal last Sunday, like in, in big font, not, you know, headlining. And my dad was like, why don't you tell me about this? And so my dad showed up. My dad showed up with his best friend. His best friend and his best friend's wife showed up. Uh, and they gave him the front table. And it sucked because I, it sucked, but it was great. It, it, it was really um, a calming effect. And in the true Zach Andre way of doing things, I, I went right up in front of everybody. And I was like, hey, I may talk about my dad a lot in this conversation and about my life and about baseball. But, hell, my dad decided to show up, and I didn't invite him and embarrass me, so I'm going to embarrass his ass for the next hour and a half. <laughs> and, and the room lost it. But reality, you know, and, and we talked about dysfunction, and I'm glad you said something because I've, I'm, I've, I've had four meetings today. Just That's how my life works at this time of the year. And you're right. Every business – like, we had, a, we had a call in today for our TV production. We've got a game on Thursday on TV. And, you know, when everybody, you know, when everybody checks in, it's like, and look, I work for, for the most part, 90, 90, a high 90s percentage of the people I work with around the baseball season I love. Um, but, you know, you put, you put five people in a room together, five people aren't going to get along and think the same. Right. Hell, marriage, you can't get two people to think the same and live the same and blah, blah, blah. But what you just stated, and I think this goes back, and I'll go with the Browns, and then we'll get into the Cavs and the Indians too. The most successful organizations, most successful marriages, the most successful businesses find a way to overcome their dysfunction or they find a way to put their dysfunction in a corner and they understand it. They don't hide from it. They don't run from it, but they don't let it run them and become who they are. Right. Um, You can go back to the mid 70s and 70s. The Oakland A's hated each other. They fought in the dugout. They fought in the clubhouse but they kicked their ass at seven o'clock every night. And I think that's the goal every organization wants. And when the beginning and the end of your dysfunction starts at the top of the the food chain with the owners, with the Browns, with the Cavs, 
it makes it very difficult to overcome that. And I think when you look at the Browns, we talked about this when John Dorsey was let go. John Dorsey was not perfect, but he damn near looked perfect to most of us in Cleveland because when you consider the others that have had his job in the last 20 years, he damn near wins the race by, you know, head and shoulders. There's nobody close. Like, I, you and I take it, and I'm speaking for myself, you and I take it somewhat personal when people bag on Phil Savage because we know Phil personally. We know what Phil was doing. We were around Phil enough, and we know him personally. And, and because of that, yeah, I get the jokes, and I get the FU email jokes, and he, 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 and things like that. But I know Phil Savage was pretty damn good at what he did. He was overcoming a lot of things that were tough to overcome. But he didn't, the patience didn't wear out, and he made mistakes that ended up ending him. When John Dorsey was let go, I didn't completely agree with it, even though I wasn't sitting there saying he should run for president and we should all wear those stupid sweatshirts that he was wearing in 90-degree weather because that was dysfunctional in his own right. And wasn't that our debate? after the John Dorsey thing was, you know, did he do so much that he had to go just, just because of that coach that he hired? That was, that was a, a function that you had to let him go, even though he had placed, he had, he placed something in play. And I'm not sitting here condoning, you know, saying he should be here. or He shouldn't be here. I'm not saying that, but that's your dysfunction problem. You finally get a guy that's good at a job and you get rid of him. Well, you better replace him with somebody better. And in the Cavs situation, John Beeline was never a great choice to be the head coach of the Cavaliers. Zach knew that. Andre knew that. Our grandfathers knew that. On and on and on and on, even though he's a great coach. But it goes back to why do you hire a coach that's been successful overseas and never been around an NBA player? Mm-hmm. Why do you go get a coach that's, the six, that's 68? And, yes, he's been one of the most successful coaches of all time, but he's never coached NBA players. And, and like, I get – and Jason Lloyd wrote this perfectly in the athletic last week. He says it perfectly. Hey, thinking outside the box has made Dan Gilbert, Gilbert a billionaire. Thinking outside the box as an owner of an NBA team has gotten him nowhere. It doesn't work the same in sports as it does. And I think both, and this isn't me attacking, I think both the owner of the Cleveland Browns and the owner of Cleveland Cavaliers have had billionaire success in the businesses that have allowed them to be owners of sports franchises. And that success that they've had in their other businesses has not parlayed the same way into team sports. And I think that's where their dysfunction starts in both of those organizations. Yeah. Um, you know, the old the old sports writers, even older than me, believe me or believe it or not, they're they're out there. They will say that back in the day when you when you hacked on typewriters and then you drank till last call or past last call and it was all about the morning paper and all of that. They will say that the sports department was always the toy department, right? That it was really right. wasn't that serious, you know, and that they they were blessed to work in the toy department for X amount of years and go to these cities and do those last calls and be around all these characters, right? And that's still true right. to a large extent because there's a whole hell of a lot of important things that go on in the world, and you know, NBA regular season basketball is not one of them, <laughs> right? But right, the money has changed so much. These are billion-dollar businesses, and owners look at it as their toy department, personal toy department, and that's fine. But you just can't run things this way. And I'm not saying it was avoidable or not, and I'm not saying it's right or not. But in John Beeline's defense, to an extent, and again, I, I don't know if it's even worth going to what extent, some of the players just never gave him a chance whether it was going to work or not. This thing was doomed from the start, and that speaks right. to the overall dysfunction of the Cavs, does it not? No, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, and 
Yes. I mean, it's so true. I mean, and, and look, and I'm glad Charles Barkley said what Charles Barkley said. And, and I think this is the question that we all, you've had jobs that suck. And you and I have had conversations during, hell, when you were at Browns, you, well, we both were working in Berea every day the first um, We've all had jobs where we're like, man, what the hell did I sign up for? But because we knew the situation, we worked hard. And when I go to what Barkley said, could the veterans have been better veterans and better leaders for John Beeline? I think the answer is absolutely hell yeah. How many more wins would that have equal? Well, sure. Sure. Three or and I'm not okaying it, but I think that's the line. Isn't that the line that we're trying to figure out in pro sports? Yes, every guy should show up and be excited like it's high school. Yes, every guy should be a leader. Yes, every guy shouldn't nag and bitch. The reality is they're going to. The reality is a guy like Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love who played decades each in the NBA, they both are pretty realistic when they get on the court and they see they don't have a chance to win 50 games. That's when you find out who the true professional is. And fair I, enough. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. The reality of this situation is – that the best basketball coaches should just keep coaching basketball at the, at the lower levels because in the NBA, yep. if you're a head coach, coaching basketball is really like not that high on the list. Well, no, well, you just said it. Coaching in the NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball, it's not the best technical coaches. Yeah. It's the people that are leaders, right? There are people that can lead. Why is Terry, Terry Francona may or may not know more baseball than name a manager? You know, Tony LaRusso was made out to be this genius, and he was. He was a lawyer. He was this and that. I'm just using him as an example. Tony LaRusso won baseball games not because he was a lawyer, not because of how intelligent was, not because he used analytics. Sure, all that shit helped. He won World Series because he had great talent, and he was able to get that great talent all pulled the same way on the string. Yep, this is – you're, you're exactly right. right. This is the conversation we have all the time about culture and about dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. what what is most important, right? What do you need – to minimize distractions, especially in the social media age, to cut down on the bullshit from your players and your employees, right? And just make, set what the two, three, four most important things are, and in most cases it's winning. And part of the Cavs' problem is it's not that right now from the start, right? right? And how do you get to that? Because that's what Francona has done, right? Is, yeah. is he reaches those guys on a personal level, right? And you go about a long, <laughs> really long <laughs> sometimes really more dysfunctional than another season, and you hope everybody's sane and upright at the end. Right, and, and you really do. I mean, I, I look at – I mean, we got high, we got buddies that are high school coaches, and, and, and I think that's – and I think, you know, it helps to have friends that coach. Your brother coaches. And they look at their rosters, and they'll tell us, and they'll text us and say, dude, this ain't going to be our year. And you'll look up, and they'll be, you know, 10 and 5. And you're like, well, damn, man. And and then sometimes we've had coaches be like, oh, we're going to kick ass this year, and they don't, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're like, and you don't want to say anything, and it's like, but you can't dictate. You can look at your talent however you want to look at your talent, and we do this in all sports. And, and I don't know why Browns fans, and I'm not fighting with them, I'm not putting them down, but this is a Browns season last year, and you and I kept going. And look, and, and and you'll have it better than me. In about three weeks, it'll be a year since the Odell Beckham trade, and I'm in Arizona. You're Everywhere you were, we had to talk, and everybody's going nuts. And people were pissed at me because, yeah, the, and all I said was, this is an exciting day for the Browns. They've got a great team to play on Madden, but there's nothing that guarantees they're a playoff team. And, and you're like, well, they got playoff talent. And I go, well, that don't matter until you put them all together and you actually make them practice and play and, and figure out what their best play is. 
And that wasn't me being negative, but that was me and, and you both knowing. And you, you said that to me throughout the season, and I wasn't attacking you, and I'm not. And I get it. Sure, their talent was. But that doesn't mean anything if the dysfunction is stronger than the actual culture that you have. No, that's and right. The culture, you, you, and the culture <laughs> of Maria is, is not positive. I mean, culture, right? Lay out your plans and expectations, right? Right. Lay right. out what it's going to take to get there. Right. Like, how did you how did you become successful, Zach? Like, how did you, you know, like. Well, like, good looks we and all charm. Like, <laughs> what did you say? Good looks and charm. <laughs> well, see, anybody listening to this podcast knows that's bullshit 101. <laughs> I mean, same with me, though. And, like, I've had to go through this. My college career was not something that I would brag about. It's not something that I want my kids to do. Hey, man, I hope not, but my son's a lot like me, so he's probably going to be an asshole. He's probably going to learn about all the other good stuff in college other than going to class and reading books, because I know his dad did. But how, as, as me, as a father, I have to prepare for it. My kid ain't going to just go to class every fucking day. Like, my daughter probably will. But my son ain't going to school, ain't going to class every single day. My son is probably, you know, like, so how do I get him to overcome that dysfunction that I know is going to come when he goes to college, Right. And I know I'm all over with this, but like I'm glad you use dysfunction because we all have dysfunction in our family. We all have uncles, that's right, or aunts, or you know, we all have it. Like nobody, nobody, and nobody puts. Hey, when we put our family pictures up, and when we put stuff up on Instagram, ain't nobody Instagramming and putting up on social media the dysfunction that's within their family, right? <laughs> so when we went on Instagram, we went on Instagram because we put our dysfunction way to the left, and we we minimized it. <laughs> and we and we maximize what we feel great about our life. Well, if you don't do that as an organization, what's going to show up on Instagram? Yeah, your dysfunction. Um, since we're here and we haven't done this in a while, you know what part of Kobe Altman running the Cavs? And we know part of the problem is that he's only second in charge, right? Right. Um, right. What I'm part is incomplete? And we know that the terrible contract that Kevin Love signed was not his fault. It was a directive from above. So what part is incomplete or out of his hands? And what part makes you say, what in the hell have you done besides draft a couple small guards? It's really me and you, bro. <laughs> um, I mean, he ain't got a chance in hell. I don't know. And I don't mean that bad. I'm just being honest. Kobe may be a good, he's intelligent. He's, he's, but let's be real. Until you and this is and I would say this over in Berea. And those two Andrew Barry and I know you don't want to combine them and you don't have to. No, but I, I'm until, glad you did because I think you can. Like, look, Andrew Barry is a super smart guy. Andrew Barry right. is a super respected guy. Like, if he don't draft the right guys this year, he's gonna end up like everybody else. Right. And it's not and but the thing is they have they're they're handicapping this. They're swimming with one arm and they're both brothers. And I don't care if one is a light-skinned brother. Brothers still don't swim like y'all white people. If you take one of their arms away, it's just going to be hard. And one of their arms is taken away. Why? Because as you just said to me about Kobe Altman, I don't know how good or bad Kobe Altman is. Good-looking dude. Should have showed up and said something after with the debacle of last week. But he don't know no better. Until Dan Gilbert and the owner of the Cleveland Browns allow the people that they hired to do their jobs completely – there's no answer to your question. Yeah, they got to draft the right guys. But what happens? What happens if on on April, whatever the date is in Las Vegas, 
you know, the Haslam family gets a hair in their butt, and they suddenly want a kid that went to Tennessee. They got kicked out of Alabama and got kicked out of Alabama State. But, damn it, he saw it one Saturday run 100 yards. What do you do with your Andrew Barry? It's what happened before. Do? We know who drafted right. John What's-His-Name, right? Yeah, right. I mean, what happens if come draft day, Cavs get the number two pick, and he thinks drafting Wiseman was the best thing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, but suddenly Dan Gilbert says, you know what? I want the kid from Georgia, or I want this kid from overseas. And, you know, like, I, I want the next Luka Doncic. I think we got him. There's a kid over there, that's, and there is a kid who I actually like. What happens? You, you know, like, look, I mean, and, and we got to say that, and this is no offense to you, Joy. You know I love you out in the West Coast. I'm going to be close to you, girl. But, I mean, think about the difference in the Sacramento Kings. They took a really talented player, right, but they didn't take Luka Doncic. Would you think the Kings would be different if they – and I'm not – like I said, I'm not pouring it on Joy – but it's, that's how basketball works. And if you don't have everybody aligned for why are we going to take Luka Doncic, even though we've never seen him, he's never played in America, blah, blah, blah. Look at what the, the Dallas Mavericks organization is because Luka Doncic fell to them. Yeah. And they were able to trade away. Well, they, he didn't fall to them. They had to go and get him. Atlanta accommodated that. Right. Sacramento could have had him. That's, my, that's why I brought <laughs> right. Sacramento. Sacramento had him right in front of him and didn't draft him. And I, and I don't know all the reasons, but there have been talks that in Sacramento there was a tug of war, and that's why I brought them up. There was a tug of war with Lottie Divac's ownership and the GM and the GM assistant about who to take that year. That fight obviously didn't get won by the ones that wanted Luka Doncic. Who's going to lose their job sooner than later? I'll say this about this function, and obviously I know a lot more about how NFL front offices are structured than the NBA. Although yeah. I think it's a lot easier to evaluate basketball players, right? Because you watch them run around and there's five on five at a time, right? right? And they start playing against the other best ones from the time they're in seventh grade, right? Right. Uh, this is what someone told me at the Senior Bowl, and this conversation has stuck with me. This goes along the lines of dysfunction, although I don't think it was actually used in that term. He said, Zach, you know who's here from our team? He said, we have 25 people here. Two coaches, this, the head special teams coach and the assistant special teams coach, so they can evaluate the kickers and evaluate, you know, the linebackers and DBs. He said, then we have 23 people here, scouts, personnel execs, cap guy, what, research assistant, whatever. He said, so we all have different jobs, and obviously, you know, GM has the voice, and three or four of us get to sit a lot closer to him than, than the other 15, 17. Mm-hmm. He said, but how in the world are you ever supposed to reach consensus on anything when you have 23 people? You're not, right. You know? Impossible. And and that's that built-in dysfunction. And so you can hire all the smartest people all you want, right? You can have the best young area scout in the world that hustles his ass off and diagnoses those guys. He's got to communicate his information and message to the top. you got to eliminate the clutter all around, and you got to take the guys that you trust that fit you. Right. And it, it's it harder in the NBA because you know these guys are going first chance. You know, like this Burrow thing that's out there, and we're about 16 hours from him talking and addressing these Cincinnati rumors. I mean, I don't think that there's really anything to him, this this whole rumor about how he um, doesn't want them to draft him. And and I've, right. I've been saying for months that even if he's okay, that this saves the franchise, right? Absolutely. But if he does come out and say – I'm not sure I want the Bengals to draft me. Do you really blame him? No, absolutely not. But if he if he if, if he is, he's not. If he's smart. You don't say it. To the, you don't say it February 25th or 24th. You go up there and say all the right things right now. You'd let it work in the back channels, right? Yeah, I 
I um I like that, that thought. That's how Eli. That's how Eli did it, right? I mean, you knew by the time the draft came. But when we went to the when we went to the combine that year, Eli and Ben Rompers, Eli wasn't coming out saying I won't play. He was happy. I'll go anywhere. Yeah, you know I what's so I, different I, though. Yeah, go ahead. Honestly, and and I am the first one to say that Twitter is not a real life, but social media makes it different, Dre. Yeah. I, well, and you know what? You got to say screw social media and get it done right. Though you're right. Yeah, I still say if I am the kid we're talking about, no matter if I want to play in Cincinnati or not, I ain't telling y'all on February 24th and 25th in Indianapolis. And I'm sure he's got people around him. I mean, come on. These kids have been – I mean, these kids – not him so much, but most of these kids have been put through the, the, the media grind between picking what school they're going to, between picking what agents they won't tell everybody they're friends with until picking an agent when they're allowed to pick an agent. Uh, <laughs> They know how to play the game now, most of them, right? They know how to play the game. And like you don't kill you don't kill you don't kill it before you need to kill it. And I think most I think I know he's smart enough not to. I matter of fact, kids kids know the game so much, Dre, and their platforms are so big and so long so young, which is another discussion and another get off my lawn incident to start with. That that sometimes when these rumors start, I know they're not true because you know that the kids are media savvy enough that they would have handled it themselves. Right? The information would have come somewhere else. Let me, let me ask you this along those lines, and I didn't think of this. Now, as we talk Cavs, and the general consensus is there's no number one player in this draft. Like People like Wiseman, right. but he's a true big man, and he hasn't played college basketball. Who knows how good he really right. is? Uh, the kid right. from Georgia, you know, who knows? But let's just, say, let's just say there was a true number one, and his name was John Smith, okay? And let's say when the lottery comes in May that the Cavs ended up with the one pick, and that the Warriors got the two pick. Mm. And three days later, John Smith went to his Twitter account and said, just going to announce that my representatives have asked the Cavs not to draft me. I would prefer to play for Golden State. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And therefore, I, I, I don't, you know, it's kind of a, a, a total projection here in this scenario. Right, right. But would anyone outside Cleveland be mad at John Smith? No. <laughs> I wouldn't. This is the world. The world's I mean, changed, I do, man. I, it just has. Right. I know where you're going with that. Absolutely. No, no, not at all. Um, uh, hell, you, for any of our teams, Indians, Browns, or Cavs. And and you know what? I and I guess as I get older, you know, I love us. I love where we're at. But I I get it way better than I used to get it. You know, like and, and for these and for these guys that are getting drafted, I, I know we don't say this often. But sometimes you got to flex the power that you have because you only get certain amounts of power in certain situations for only you're right. too long. Right? The, you're right. The leverage is the word there, and that yeah. is right. It is hard for a guy in many leagues, many levels. It's stacked against the players, no doubt about it. So you know what? Twenty years ago, you would have asked me that question. Um, I would have. I would have. Been, I would have sneered. You know, I'd have been mad. I would have took a person. Today, I no. I even even you know even if it's just a family thing, even if it's just you just want to be closer, like no, not at all. I, I would, I, and I know that, and that's a possibility, right? Like that's a, like the Cavaliers are to me, and I don't, I, don't have, I want to be careful in saying this. They do a fantastic job um, of game day, go, going to a game. The games I went to this year, uh, I'm happy I went to every single one of them. As a matter of fact, I wish I could have went to a couple more. Um, but in, in the winning business, because there's a couple types of business when it comes to professional sports, it's an entertainment thing first and foremost. And I know that that's one of those get off my lawn things. 
But we got to come to the realization that as much as we like championships and want parades and MVPs, it is a business first and foremost to entertain people and get people to come just like the circus, just like, you know, like right. the trucks with the dirt on the ground. It is. And the Cavs business-wise, and I always hate that quote when 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 an owner or somebody gets away and, and has them as great as this. Business-wise, we're doing great. No shit, Mr. Orange. You got Cleveland waiting for a winner. You don't, never like, – like, like, duh. Like these mother- do you see these motherfuckers on Twitter? They love you no matter what. You can you can screw their wives. And as long as they get tickets to the dog pound, they is. Look for Slacker Jr.'s teepees out. Anyway. <laughs> well, look, look, look. This is cultural. You mentioned when your kids grow up that you know that you just got a feeling right now at five and eight that one's going to be a lot more yeah. of a handful than the other. Right. Yeah. No doubt. no doubt. Well, you're only in charge of Bella and AJ. You're not in charge of the other ones. Right. So right. here's what happens right. in sports today. Okay. Another dad who's in charge of his guy picks his eight kids AAU team and changes different. Picks his kids travel team for baseball and changes when he can't be the shortstop and the three hitter. Yeah. They get to high school and they pick they pick their teammates. They do all this and that's fine. This, this is well within their rights. Right. But there comes a point when you're not that 1% of 1%, when you're not the number one pick or you're not a pro athlete, that along the way you haven't done right and you haven't learned right because you've picked everything, because everything's been Mm -hmm. handed to you, because you've just, when the going gets tough, transfer, right? There comes a time. And so for all those guys, like, I'm not going to say handed to them because I don't care how gifted anybody is with God's athletic gifts. They've worked for it. Right. But when we start diagnosing these kids as the chosen one earlier and earlier, and we start covering them like they're the chosen one earlier and earlier, and they start doing these things, and then all of a sudden they have to go to these organizations, and they just – our shithead theorem got tested because they were a shithead before <laughs> they got their $17 million, and there's certainly going to be one after. You wonder why these organizations are so dysfunctional? Right. I mean, it's just right. – it's just what it is. It's just. I got two things. It is. I got two things. Um, it's currently where I'm at. I'm at home. It is currently 45 degrees outside and cold and ugly and school just let out. And there are two kids, three white kids behind in my backyard playing basketball in their pants with no shirts on. And I absolutely love it. Love, like I love seeing kids play basketball. We and kids play basketball in my neighborhood all the time. Um, and, but they got no shirts on and I'm thinking if my mom saw me with no shirt on right now, she would kick my ass. <laughs> and, he, and, then I, and then the other thing I thought was my son's downstairs looking outside, thinking it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the other thing off of that this weekend I had, after I spoke down in Akron, I met up with a friend, I met up with, with, with my wife and a family friend and, and Rob, my best friend. We all, we all met up. And had a couple of drinks, and one of the people we met up with is a, um, I got a he's a professor at a local college, and we were talking about the youth, and just you know just talking about, and the question came up, Zach, and it's almost like you heard it because we we're talking about the one percent, the guy that says I don't want to play in Cleveland, I don't want to play in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny going on what you just said, the person that we know that works with college kids and has worked with college kids for a decent amount of time, said that it's not the kids aren't as smart or smarter book-wise than they've ever been before. 
He goes, but because so many of them have been given participation ribbons and no one is lost and everybody can, and everybody can transfer as you were talking about, he goes, they have no true sense of how the real world works. Like they can, you know, they can break down molecules and atoms and this and that. <laughs> but when you, but when you give them, but when you tell them simply that there's no more Fago, <laughs> they don't know how to act. You know what I mean? Like they, like they don't, like the most common thing is difficult for them. What are we doing? And what we're like, what is the dysfunction and how we're raising children and people in our society that the younger generation is not getting at at all right now? Yeah. So two days ago, yesterday or two days ago, someone sends me an Instagram video, someone in the basketball community, right? Mm-hmm. And it is of a sixth grader who's about six, four, let's just say it's a, it's a highlight tape, right? And Right. This, this kid, he, he's not dunking on this highlight tape, but he's swatting the shots of the other sixth graders who are five foot two, right? He's flexing <laughs> in their face. He's spinning around them. He's tapping the rebound with his left hand and finishing with his right, right? And I go to the Instagram page, and he's got 3,400 followers. He's a sixth grader, right? He's a head taller than everybody he's playing. He's dancing. He's flexing around. I'm not his dad. I'm not in charge of him. You're not either. I don't know where this all goes, but I had a chuckle. Because how is that kid's science teacher supposed to tell that kid that he needs to study a little harder for his next science test? Right? Right. 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 And, like, I mean, maybe he'll keep growing and he'll be seven foot and he'll be one and done and nobody will ever have to tell him anything. But what if he stops growing and he's got to choose between Youngstown State and Kent State in in six years? There's a good chance that's going to be the case. (laughs) Right. <laughs> and I hate to—I mean, I—I'm I, not trying to turn this into another get off my lawn conversation. I know you guys, longtime listeners, know I can do that. I just wonder, and I think when this happened, like who gains from this, right? Right. Like I'm not his dad, but I would chuck the fucking phone as far out onto the highway as I could and say, "You can be right. on Instagram when you're like in junior in high school." Right. right. And but see, that's what. But it goes back to and, and the gosh, I can't believe it. it goes back to parenting. Like and, and look and 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 I hope. I knock on wood. I got enough real people around me. I always, we all, I've always said, and I'll never not say it. Everybody needs a no person in their life. It's easy to have yes men in your life, but you need a no man. Somebody to say, nah, dog, that don't look good. Nah, girl, you shouldn't wear that. You fat, your ass is hanging out. Don't wear that. Yeah. We need that. We need, we need somebody to tell LeBron, cut your damn hair off, dog. You bald. It looks scary. In the it's back. time. <laughs> ain't, nobody, ain't nobody tall enough, I guess, to say that to him. Romeo Travis, I'm calling you out. I love you, Rome. I, you can tell him. My point to this is everybody needs a no man. And as parents, we should know as parents that have grown up with social media, and it sounds like my wife yelling at me as people that have grown up with social media. Why are we giving kids the opportunity to ruin their lives so young because of social media? No, and half this shit don't matter what people on social media say. And like you said, this is just setting this kid up for like, how is the English teacher going to get Jeffrey to, to, to open up his English book and, and read Macbeth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when, Dude, I've been having a 16 and 6, and I got about a million followers on Instagram since I was in, in ninth grade. Fuck Macbeth. <laughs> like, 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 what are we doing? We're setting them up for failure. It's unbelievable. It is. And look, look, um, just in fairness, because I know that there's a chance that the parents of this person are listening to this podcast because this came to me directly. This, this is someone in Northeast Ohio. This wasn't someone I, I knew it. who's a basketball coach in New Mexico who sent me this. The fact that this sixth grader has 4,000 Instagram followers says more about society than it says anything about he or his parents, correct? For sure. The one time I met 
one of the parents could not have been nicer. Correct. I'm right. just saying as someone whose career is sports, right? Like I see this and I cringe, man. I cringe. I do too. I and, do too. Like, and to I know use your example, right? Want... In, right? In nine years, your kid's going to be getting recruited by both Hoban and St. V. Not just because each of his parents went to one of those schools, but because of that tiny strike zone, his on-base percentage is going to be like 972, right, in F-League baseball. <laughs> hey, <laughs> right? hey, we're getting ready. We're actually going to have just about it. We, if we didn't do this podcast, we were getting ready to go to one of those schools and get some BP in for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, so like there's going to be a time, you know, there's going to be a time when he, he steals four bases and – you know, this, and you're going to have to check them and say, hey, uh, yep. you know, that's just how it goes. I, I, like, these are right, just things. Right. And, and I think the overall the overall point is that John Beeline never had a chance. It was never a fit, and that that's on the Cavs, and that's on John Beeline. Yeah. But, man, it's just yeah. scary from the start the way he was never given a chance by the guys there, and this ain't going to change yeah. anytime soon. No. And you know what? The Cavaliers is an organization. If they're being real with themselves and Jay and bigger staff looks like the guy that's going to go for it. And they should, um, before they go on any scouting trips, when the season ends in April, this is me talking You go back to Kobe Altman. If Kobe Altman wants to be successful, if he wants to walk away with his name, looking the best he can, they need to have a close, close all the doors, put everybody that matters in a room. And I don't know if that's 30 people. I don't know if that's 15 people. or I don't know if that's just two people. But a real conversation needs to be had of what is the culture of our organization and team that when we hire a coach, the kids, the, I don't want to say they're running the asylum. I don't want to put that quote out there. But what does it say about the identity of the people that we're willing to pay multi-millions of dollars that they can just shit on somebody if they don't like them or if they don't respect them? Yeah. And, that, and that's become okay, especially with two impressionable, three impressionable kids that if Kobe has any chance, any chance, to have good words said about him in 15 years, he needs two of those three kids to become quality NBA players. And they've been poisoned this season, poisoned by this thought process of, fuck that guy. We do whatever we want. He's a college coach. Right. Screw that guy. We're not. He, he makes us watch too many films. He makes us work too hard in practice. That's not the image. You know what happens down in Miami? And I hate to use this as an example, but it's an example. I don't know how... Uh, I don't know how Pat Riley has done it, but Pat Riley, all the way back to big, damn near when you and I were born, Zach Jackson, and he went to Kentucky, and I know Kentucky put it into, put it, into it. I don't know every Pat Riley's whole story. But when you go play for a Pat Riley team, whether it be the Lakers in the, in the early 80s, whether it be the New York Knicks and John Starks tackling, tackling people and beating people up while Patrick Ewing was doing fadeaways. Speaking of glory days. Yes. Yeah, yeah, those are. Or whether it be the Miami Heat. When you get drafted or brought into the Miami Heat, there's a way that you go about doing stuff. They're I watched supposed a little to bit be. of Dwayne yeah, Wade. The, the strong organizations have that. Absolutely. Right. The strong organizations say, I don't care if Daffy Duck is a coach. Yep. You're going to do what Daffy Duck says, or your ass is going to be out of here. Like, yep. he has that. He gave Deion Waiters all the chances in the world. Yep. It's like, all right, it don't work. Bye. Get to, get out. Like, right, he's so, built another. They're not going to win a championship, but they're a championship organization they're going to be deep in the playoffs what's philadelphia going through right now this is i want to say this quickly the philadelphia 76ers have one two of the most talented kids in the nba the trust the process thing was a great thing great slogan because it looked like it worked but much like the browns and the browns can't even get that far when you built your culture and you built upon who you are 
on losing and negativity when it's time to be positive and it's time to win. Who is going to teach these guys how to win? Who's going to teach Embiid? Who's going to teach Simmons? What is your base? Who are you? You built your base upon negativity. So, therefore, when you want these guys to stand up and be true leaders and understand, have a respect for your team and your culture, they don't know how. And the Cavs have that. The Cavs got the championship in that parade, damn, four years ago. Think about that. In a couple months, it's four years already since they won a championship. But that was built on luck, and that was built on sunshine and princesses and donkey shits. Like, you can't build a team and just poof in the air, you get LeBron James. They got lucky he was born when he was born. Because if he wasn't, they'd still be losing getting first-round picks. They have no culture to build off of. I can't argue with any of that, but the point is the whole goal is to win one championship. And if you suck for 100 years, you suck for 100 years, right? So, okay. (laughs) We say that, but it's not true anymore. No, it's it's not, however. Who remembers that? You're right. But so, all right, so should Dan Gilbert just sell and walk away and say, hey, I want a championship. That's not how we're – I know what you're saying. But the Cavs, after winning the championship three and a half years ago, have zero culture, and it's disgusting when you look at it. And, it, and it's because of how they've gone about trying to build it. Uh, i got to be in the convention center like two miles away in ten minutes, so I'm going to get out of here on this. Thank you guys for listening. Be, if you want to follow the combine, <laughs> follow me. Follow the usuals all week. I believe it's Wednesday. The on-field workouts start. Um, NFL Network will have them. Jerry is headed to Arizona, so when we get our time zones and bearings about us, we'll have another podcast um, I'm here all week and then headed uh, to Pittsburgh to where my brother's team is playing in the AMCC tournament. 20 wins. I want to say congrats, yeah. not congrats to them. We'll see what happens. And I'm not going to dwell on this. And we're going to get out of here on this note before I say it. So thanks to American Fireworks, to Scene, and to Honeymoon Grill. Um, live streaming a dog's funeral has got to be the lowest of the low. Congrats, Cleveland.com. I got nothing else to say. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>